Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello again, my friend. Welcome into another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. This show where we take a look at all things streaming, music, movies, and television. I am Clint Davis. Uh, I talk about movies and TV on the program. In just a little bit, we'll hear from my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak, our music man, right here on the show. Welcome into 2019, our first edition of the new year. What are you doing differently this year? When it comes to your media habits, that's specifically what I'm wondering about. I don't care about your diet. I don't care about your uh, exercise habits. I don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. I want to know what you're doing differently when it comes to your media habits. Because I'm going to tell you what I'm doing differently this year. I'm going to do a better job of keeping track of what I watch throughout the year. I've made a list on IMDb. I love using their lists. I have like 100 of them on my account. But I never, for whatever reason, made a list of just all the movies that I watch in a year. So I'm going to I made a list. I'm going to it's going to house every movie I watch in 2019. I just called the list watched in 2019. I kind of got the idea from uh, on Goodreads. I did the same thing last year. I did a read in 2018 and I'm like, you know, I need to do this with movies cuz I watch a lot more movies than I read books. So just so at the end of the year I can kind of look back and remember everything I took in, not just the ones that I really liked because usually I would just make a list of best of 2018 and it would only be the new ones. So I want to keep track of everything I watch, old, new, you know, rewatches, first watches, everything, uh, good and bad, ugly, everything in between. So, so far in 2019, just in the few days of the year, I've watched Four Weddings and a Funeral, I've watched The Philadelphia Story, I've watched Wild Strawberries, and I've watched Persona, all of which I recommend. Uh, heavily recommend in uh, in most cases of those movies. I really loved all four of those films. So, uh, but I will I will say uh, that you know Emerson is getting uh, my son is getting into uh, good cinema early, as you can hear there. I, I've kind of been trying to get him to watch some Swedish movies, some Ingmar Bergman movies uh, early. He's only five months old, so I don't know if he understands all of it. I mean, I'm 30. I don't know if I understand all of it yet. But you know, the, the day will come. I just want to get him ready. All right, let's go ahead and uh, uh, light up here as we get started in the new, brand new year. Brand new year, same old habits. Here's uh, I'm going to light my stogie up. I'm sitting in my closet in Columbus, Ohio, bringing you my portion of the show. I just like the intimacy in this room. And uh, let me go ahead and let, let me go ahead and light up here. Oh, I'm, by the way, I'm using a butane lighter today, so it's going to sound a little different. Not my Zippo. I got a, a new butane lighter. I'm going to try it out. Let's see. 
Not bad. You know, buying butane fuel is a bitch if you're a if you're someone who uses one. If you like to smoke a little bit, finding butane fuel. Not everybody sells it. You got to go to a smoke shop pretty much to get it. So anyway, welcome into the Stream Police podcast. Thank you very much for spending some time with us this month. We bring it to you every month. We've been doing it for years. We we love doing the show. We do it uh, from uh, just our love of of watching movies, of watching television of listening to music and uh hopefully one of these days soon andy and i will get back together it's been a while since we did a show together uh but we bring them to you separately it's kind of like just a couple monologues if this is your first time listening to the show and if it is please uh, subscribe rate us uh wherever you do listen to the show if you are on itunes please give us a rating there uh, that stuff goes a long way to uh, continuing to build an audience and to make you look legit all right let me go ahead and start the show as i always do by dipping into the annals, annals, that's a dangerous word to say, of TV history and looking back at some of the great TV show theme songs ever produced in a segment we like to call the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. We've done 35 in the past. Here's our 36th entry into the canon of greatest television show theme songs. And I got to tell you, my friend, this one uh, is one that um, I've always enjoyed. I think it connects with the show it represents so well, especially for a piece of music that was written not for the show. It certainly seems like it could have been written for the show. But this week's selection is truly one of the all-time sing-along classics as well. I guarantee you that whenever the show that this song opened is mentioned, you probably immediately think of this song. And consequently, whenever you hear this song, if you ever hear this song, you're going to think of the show immediately as well. We're going to go back 30 years to March 11th, 1989, when the fledgling Fox network aired its first episode of a groundbreaking reality show that followed real police officers as they busted people on national television. Seriously, can you believe that Cops is 30 years old this year? The song used to open the series is actually older than 30 years. Bad Boys by the Jamaican reggae band Inner Circle first came out in 1987, and it didn't do much in terms of chart attention, but that was going to change in a couple years. So a producer who worked on Cops happened to be a fan of Inner Circle and suggested that the song be used as the theme song. I mean, can you imagine such a random confluence of events leading to this uh, union between these this show and this song? Does some guy happen to be a fan of this reggae band called Inner Circle who no one had probably ever heard of unless they were a serious reggae fan? And I'm going to guess, you know, because this is television in the 80s and hell, today even still, uh, and it's a TV producer. I'm going to guess that the guy was a white dude who was probably just a white American who liked, happened to like reggae. I don't know any of this. I'm just talking out of my ass. But I did read that it was a producer for the show who happened to be a fan of the band who suggested that the song be used as the theme song. And then suddenly one of the great marriages in the history of TV and music was consummated. Could there possibly have been another theme song for Cops? I mean, can you imagine any other song opening that show? When you were eight and you had bad treats, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you acting like a bloody fool? If you get hot, then you must 
in case you've somehow never seen cops, it sticks a cameraman in the patrol car of officers who are working at different departments around the country and shows them talking to the camera kind of at the beginning. They're driving around on their beat, just talking to the camera about what they see every day, how they view their job. You know, usually they're trying to look like badasses. Typically they do end up looking like badasses. Then they inevitably get a call and they go to some rundown house somewhere, get into a heated discussion with an angry shirtless person who typically tries to run away, leading to the invention of the shakiest camera work that you have ever seen. And, you know, you hear all this like panting and breathing from the officer running down the the guy who's running away from him because it was always a guy, usually somebody who would like punch their wife or something like that. So you don't feel too bad about the whole thing uh, as far as watching someone get embarrassed on national television. Bad boys, bad boys. So I told you that Bad Boys wasn't a hit when it first came out, but guess what happened a couple years after Cops went on the air? In 1993, it was a top 10 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. So how about that? Do you think the show had anything to do with that? I'm not sure. And uh, you'll never guess which countries the song actually went to number one in. I'm guessing, you know, you're probably thinking, uh, you know, countries that you think of when you think of reggae music, namely Jamaica. But in fact, it was Finland and Norway. Bad Boys by Inner Circle, a number one hit in Finland and Norway in the 1990s. This has to be the only time a reggae song has ever topped the charts in Finland and Norway. Just guessing. Cops, meanwhile, was an instant hit. It has been on the air now since 1989. It's still on the air. It has switched networks, but it's still ticking, showing no signs of slowing down. I mean, it's an endless source of, you know, you don't need any writing. You don't need any special effects. It's all right there on the screen. People love action. Why not give it to them for real? So it's a, it's a brilliant show. And it aired on Fox until 2013. So 1989 to 2013, it was on Fox before switching networks to Spike TV. Spike then changed its name to the Paramount Network in 2018, and that's where it still airs today. So, cops, in case you're wondering, still on the air. It's on the Paramount Network, if you're wondering. It has aired more than 1,050 episodes so far over the span of 31 seasons. And as for Inner Circle, the band is still listed as active in the research I did, but its last record came out in 2013, and the band hasn't had a charting song in the United States since 1998. So... I don't know how active they are, but Inner Circle apparently is still out there. Regardless of their standing as uh, as non-hit makers in the last few years, Inner Circle will forever be known as the artist behind one of the all-time legendary opening numbers in television history. And Bad Boys is our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week and if you don't know this last part by heart you were no fan of cops now say it with me folks cops is filmed on location with the men and women of law enforcement cops is filmed on location with the men and women of law enforcement all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law i love that that ending narration makes the whole thing all suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law it just sounds badass, and it gives you, like, the legal, they get the legal stuff out of the way, and it runs down, you know, the way the U.S. legal system works for anyone who doesn't know. It's, it's educational television. 
So I mentioned that COPS turned 30, or turns 30, I should say, this year, coming in March. It'll hit its 30th anniversary. And I wanted to mention some other things that are turning 30 this year because I think that's kind of a a fun and depressing thing to do in January of every year is look at, you know, the things that are going to be kind of getting old. Uh, Are we calling 30 the point where things get old? I'm comfortable saying that because I turned 30, so I'm not disparaging anyone really but myself. Uh, but yeah, let's let's talk about some things that are turning 30 this year because I think it's going to make you feel pretty damn old, especially if I'm thinking our uh, the the age group or the people who listen to this show is close to mine and uh, Mr. Sedlak's because some of my favorite things ever are on this list and things from my childhood certainly are on this list. So things turning 30 in 2019. First off, TGIF on ABC. Who doesn't remember it? For people of my age, for millennials. The the TGIF lineup like defines family television viewing like appointment viewing you know gather around the television watch this lineup of shows watch Family Matters and Perfect Strangers and Full House and all the other great shows that were on TGIF during the years that it was on the air but those shows or I should say that lineup at least turns thirty this year now like Full House is older than 30 years this year, but Family Matters turns 30 this year. It debuted with TGIF in 1989, so that's that's one show, or as everyone liked to call it back in the day, Urkel. Nobody called it Family Matters. They called it Urkel. You watching Urkel? Friday. <laughs> On Full House, Michelle's in hot water. Am I in big trouble, mister? On Family Matters, it is your attitude that I don't like. Well, maybe I don't like your attitude. Wow. Urkel's caught in a family feud. Fresh, young Valky B. Then on Perfect Strangers, Valky and Larry, you can't touch these guys. Okay, movies that are turning 30 this year. Christmas Vacation. All right. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So that means that it's been 30 years now since we've had a great Indiana Jones movie or even a good Indiana Jones movie. Last Crusade might be my favorite. I might like it more than Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm not sure. Just the the play between Harrison Ford and Sean Connery, that's got to be one of the best father-son casting decisions ever made in movie history. Back to the Future 2 turns 30 this year. I know uh, Andy and I, many times have bonded over our love for back to the future and its sequel uh back to the future 2 which i when i was a kid i liked back to the future 2 more than the first one i think because it was the first time i'd ever seen the gimmick where they go back to the action from the first movie and i just thought that was mind-blowing like how did they do that that is that's such a great idea i I thought they like invented that like that was the first time anyone had ever thought to reference another movie and actually show what happened in it and go back into the scenes and you know, it just I, and I thought you know going to the future was what we all wanted to see, right? In a Back to the Future movie, it, like going back to the fifties, that's cool. But going into the future is what, as a kid, I want to see. I want to see what the future is going to look like. So, I ate it up, man. I love Back to the Future too. I used to wear that VHS out when I was a kid. Three, I didn't watch so much when I was a kid. I, I like three a little bit more now that I'm an adult. But I love two. I I used to wear that movie out. A crack shot at this. <laughs> Like a baby's toy. Uh, Major League turns 30 this year. I know it's one of Andy's favorites. Dead Poets Society with that great performance from uh, Robin Williams. Is it a little bit uh, sentimental? Is it a little bit over the top? Well, certainly. But you know what? Usually the best Robin Williams performances were always over the top. At least just a little. Sometimes a lot. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids turns 30 this year. The great Rick Moranis 
who no longer acts anymore, uh, but he's still alive, in case you were wondering. The Little Mermaid turns 30 this year, so Beth, one of your all-time favorites, and I'm sure somebody listening out there, one of your absolute favorites. I like The Little Mermaid a lot, too. you got to love the songs there, the characters. And uh, I also, fun fact about Clint's history, uh, when I was a kid, one of the first characters I remember thinking was really hot. I mean, Ariel was really good looking, and I think she's one of the reasons why I've continued to think that redheads were attractive, even into my adulthood, because like Ariel was like the first one I ever saw, and she's obviously gorgeous. Uh, but it wasn't Ariel that I really thought was hot in that movie. It was Ursula when she turns into a human. I can't remember what her name is. She, her name's not Ursula. But she, she's like a brunette, and she's just kind of like a bitch, and she's hot. I don't know. I just I really thought she was the deal when I was a kid watching that movie. So uh, I know a lot of girls had kind of like their sexual awakening while watching Disney movies back in the day, watching like Tarzan and stuff like that, and seeing these shirtless, you know, rippling bicep men. And I think for little boys, it happened a lot, too, because the princesses were good-looking. And for me, Ursula... When she turned into a human in The Little Mermaid, she did it for me, all right? Soon I'll have oh. that little mermaid and the ocean will be mine. <laughs> Turner and Hooch turns 30 this year. I've never seen it, but uh, I know it's a classic. Say Anything turns 30. Roadhouse, so it's been 30 years since Patrick Swayze ripped that guy's throat out in graphic detail. When Harry Met Sally, one of the all-time greats, Do the Right Thing, one of my absolute favorite movies. That's probably my favorite 1989 movie. That's probably my favorite movie of all the ones turning 30 this year, Do the Right Thing. If you've never seen it, the, the values in it and the things that it shows about race relations in America still holds up. The stuff that happens still makes sense and still, unfortunately, is applicable to our world today 30 years later do the right thing spike lee's kind of uh, a masterpiece i guess i would say do the right thing is 30 this year we started civilization man keep dreaming man then you woke up pino fuck you fuck your fucking pizza and fuck frank sinatra yeah well fuck you too and fuck michael jackson Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure also turns 30. Keanu Reeves, of course. They're, they're doing a sequel to that, I think, this year as well. Field of Dreams turned 30 this year. Sex, Lies, and Videotape, a, uh, a way ahead of its time movie that I really enjoy. And I just think James Spader, man, he just can do no wrong, and he's so good in uh, in Sex, Lies, and Videotape. It's, it's like today James Spader kind of goes a little bit over the top. He kind of does like an impression almost of James Spader at this point. He's just kind of eaten up his own style of acting a little bit and spits it back out. But back then this was, you're getting a glimpse of like young James Spader before he was, you know, that, that way over the top kind of guy who was so into his mannerisms. He's uh, just kind of finding his way here and he's really good in this movie. Uh, Look who's talking is also uh, 30 this year. I've never seen that one either, but that one really scored at the box office. The, Baby with Bruce Willis's voice uh, in its head. Uh, Steel Magnolias turns 30 this year. As a type 1 diabetic, I refuse to watch that movie. I've heard en enough about it to know. And The Wizard also turns 30, the movie that Nintendo used to pimp its new products with Fred Savage uh, playing Nintendo video games in the film. I'm sure a lot of you remember that one from childhood. Real quick, I want to run down some TV shows that are turning 30 this year just to make you feel old. Once again, Seinfeld turns 30 this year. Two of the all-time greatest TV shows ever, Seinfeld and The Simpsons, both turned 30 this year. They both came out in 1989. The difference is one is still on the air, and The Simpsons is showing no signs of stopping. I can't imagine my life without The Simpsons, honestly. Seinfeld's one of my favorites, too. 
But I cannot imagine my life and growing up without The Simpsons. I cannot imagine my own sense of humor, my grasp of what is funny, of of storytelling, of, you know, just like what makes characters interesting, of what makes them, uh, what makes you feel like you know them. Um, the Sim- Without The Simpsons, I wouldn't, I don't know where I would have learned that stuff. So The Simpsons really shaped me. I know it shaped Andy a lot too. And just one of my all-time favorites. I love Seinfeld too, but man, The Simpsons. 30 years. Can you believe it? It's still on the air too. Smithies, are they booing me? Uh, no, they're saying boo urns. Boo urns. Are you saying boo or boo urns? I was saying Boo-Earns. Say by the Bell turns 30 this year. Chippendale Rescue Rangers turns 30 this year. And I know you still know the theme song. The Young Riders. I'm looking at you, Beth. I know you like that one. With young Josh Brolin turns 30 this year. Hey, dude. Does anybody else remember Hey, Dude? Nickelodeon live action show. One of the original Nick, like, original series with, uh, you know, one of the original Nickelodeon live action series. I used to love that show back in the day with uh, Mr. Ernst out on the ranch. Coach turns 30 this year. One of my dad's favorite shows. I remember watching that with him when I was a kid. I used to, you know, think Dauber was like the funniest character ever created. Shining Time Station is 30 years old this year. Uh, if you were a kid and watched that one. Quantum Leap. I couldn't believe that one was 30 years old this year. What a uh, show that I feel like was kind of ahead of its time. And what a great, one of the all-time great premises for a television series where a guy's able to jump into the skin of you know any person kind of on earth a random person every week i mean that show could have gone on forever and i i'm honestly i'm shocked they haven't rebooted quantum leap yet tales from the crypt turns 30 this year another show that uh, just never got old loved it the uh, kind of vulgar funnier spin on a show like the twilight zone or the outer limits that that uh, anthology series thing that didn't take itself too seriously like some of those other ones did greetings thrill shriekers Care to join me on the scare lift? Good. Your pal the Crypt Keeper's quite the extreme skier. G.I. Joe, Real American Hero, turns 30 this year. Rescue 911 turns 30 this year. The show that used to scare the crap out of me when I was a kid. I've mentioned it before. MTV's Rockin' Jock. Anybody remember that? When they would do, like, uh, they'd get some athletes and they'd get some uh, musicians and they'd get some TV personalities, and they'd play basketball, and they had like a didn't they, they had like a four point shot. It was an arc that was even farther back than the three point line was, and you could make it for four points. And they had like two hoops stacked on top of each other, and if you made it through both hoops, you got like six points or something like that. I can't remember all the rules, but it was cool. It was like NBA Jam, but actually in real life. And I remember watching that one when I was younger, back when I used to just devour MTV. I think everybody went through that phase. Uh, TNT's Inside the NBA turns 30 uh, this year, and it's still one of the best shows on TV, one of the best sports shows, period, arguably the best sports show, uh, period. America's Funniest Home Video is still on the air. As you can see, some of these are still on the air that turned 30 this year. Back in the day with Bob Saget, the one true host of America's Funniest Home Videos. Anybody remember when Daisy Fuentes hosted the show? Yeah, I didn't think so. And now the host of our show, Bob Saget. American Gladiators, can you think of something more 80s than that? Well, it only came out in 1989. It was more 90s than 80s. It turns 30 this year. Baywatch turns 30 this year. What an American icon Baywatch is. 
Doogie Hauser turns 30 this year. Eureka's Castle on Nickelodeon. Anybody remember that one? One of my favorites as a child. Again, I don't know if anybody else remembers that show, but I loved Eureka's Castle. Now let me think. What will I do today? Oh, I know. I'll think of all of my friends who live here at Eureka's Castle. Well, there's Eureka, of course, and Bog and Quagmire, uh, Batley and Cooey, and Mr. Knack, the three mice. Well, that's it. Um, oh, except... Me, Magellan, and my tail. Magellan's tail and all your friends are at Eureka's Castle, weekdays on Nick Jr. And like I said, finally, Family Matters and TGIF turn 30 this year as well. So those are some things that will make you feel really, really old turning 30 in 2019. I mean, just, yeah, just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to do that to you guys, but, you know, it was I was doing it to myself as well. I wouldn't make you go through anything that I'm not going through. Uh, myself we're all getting there man we're all getting old and all the stuff that we used to love when we were kids is like ancient shit now the the difference is now they reboot everything so anything that you liked when you were a kid probably will come back at some point but it'll be in a such an inferior version because you I mean you're older now and things you liked when you were a kid it just doesn't when you're older you don't like them anymore you know it was you were a kid you had a kid's brain you had a kid's view of the world you you weren't such a snob you didn't you hadn't seen all this great serious adult cinema and television and so you didn't have tastes that were so developed yet you just liked it because it was on at a certain time of day it reminds you of a certain part of your childhood where you didn't have to pay rent where you didn't have to go to work every day where you didn't have to answer to anyone except for you know your parents and really all you had to do was clean your room and stuff like that and, you know, those shows mean a lot to you because of the, the time in your life when they happen. And I think you go back and watch them now and you watch reboots and it's just like, eh, it's just not, it's not the same. It's just not the same. It doesn't work that way. You can't go back home again. That's what they said. Speaking of 30 years, I want to mention uh, something that aired on ESPN recently as part of its 30 for 30 series, which is still ongoing, has been going on for several years now. The 30 for 30 series came out as a tribute to 30 years of ESPN being on the air. Now, we're way past the point. So the, the idea, the title came from, it was 30 films. ESPN commissioned 30 documentary films to be made about significant moments in sports that had happened in the 30 years that ESPN had been on the air. That's where it comes from, 30 for 30, 30 films for 30 years. So now they still use the name 30 for 30 because it's so acclaimed, it's it's so beloved, and it's still a ratings uh, success but the problem is ESPN's way like older than 30 years now so and they've gone well beyond 30 movies so it's like the title doesn't make any sense anymore it's one of those things that made sense at the time doesn't make sense anymore but they still call them 30 for 30s and a while ago you know the first two seasons of 30 for 30 I really thought were really something special i mean to me i i said it before on this show that i think the 30 for 30 series is the best thing that espn's probably ever done the sports century series is up there as well playmakers come on got to be up there as well but the 30 for 30 series really something truly special um i used to i also like espn's classic night at the fight series very good stuff there as well they've done i mean and sports reporters they've had a lot of great shows over the years, but the 30 for 30 series was really something they could be proud of. And it was timeless. It didn't matter what you could watch them 50 years from now, still great storytelling, still something that you can take away from them. It uh, doesn't matter when you watch them. So, but the newer 30 for 30s, I feel like haven't really lived up to it. I've been very bored by them. Namely like the Buster Douglas, uh, Mike Tyson one that they just did 42 to one. Um, 
I just found myself bored to tears. And you're talking about a movie that involves Mike Tyson, one of the great villains in sports history, one of the great classic, you know, kind of tragic figures in sports history. And, and Buster Douglas knocking him out, you know, in uh, probably the greatest upset in sports history. And the movie just was not nearly as interesting as the actual event itself. And I'm going to blame Jeremy Schapp, who co-directed it, because I just don't think he's got the flavor for documentary storytelling, which does require a little bit of flair, you know? It can't just be like a a, a five-minute report that you do on E60. This thing's got to sustain my attention for 90 minutes. And it just didn't. I thought it was so dull, but... The new 30 for 30, uh, The Last Days of Night, that aired, uh, I believe it aired in December, might have been November, I can't remember, but I watched it just, you know, several weeks ago, and right now you can find it on ESPN+. Plus. That's where you can find all of the 30 for 30 films. Uh, they pulled them off Netflix, and now ESPN has its own streaming service, ESPN+, Plus, and it, uh, all the 30 for 30s are on there, so... ESPN Plus is pretty cheap too. It's like five ninety nine a month, I think, and it's it's probably worth it just to watch the thirty for thirties if there are some that you want to check out. You subscribe for a month, watch a few, and then uh, leave your subscription. But anyway, I really enjoyed this one. The the last days of night. This movie was about Bob Knight and specifically the investigation into his actions as a coach that ended up cutting his tenure at Indiana short. Um, at the at, you know at the very end of it, obviously the last few years of him coaching at Indiana amid a lot of controversy and the work that went into uncovering and getting people to open up about the, how bad of a guy Bob Knight was and how he mistreated his players and what this movie really is. This movie is not like a hey let's just you know shit all over Bob Knight even though I think he's someone who probably deserves to be shat upon. Uh, for just today, I mean, you think about it today, there's no way a guy like that could exist in coaching today. It's way different world than it was then. And it's a different world for the better. Don't listen to anything older people uh, tell you and saying that people are soft now and stuff like that. No, I mean, you, you have to coach. You have to use your mind to coach now. You can't beat kids up anymore. That's not the way it works. You can't grab them by the throat and choke them and get them to do what you want because they fear you so much. That's not how it works anymore. So I think that, that we can all say it's a better thing and it requires more smarts than it used to. So anyway, this movie is really, though, about journalism. And it's about the reporting that went into getting that stories and those stories over the years about Bob Knight and the way he abused players physically, mentally, um, and these are kids. I mean, these are teenage kids in some cases, early twenties. You're still a kid. Then if you're older than that, you remember what I'm talking about. If you're in that period, you think you're not a kid, but you'll realize that, you know, you were still, and especially if you're at college, you're kind of protect, you should feel protected. And if, as a parent now, if I send my kid to college and I sp I'm paying money, a lot of money to send them to college. Well, I mean, if, if they're a basketball player, then I'm probably not paying anything, but still you're sending them to a college out of state, whatever. You expect them to be protected, right? I mean, this coach came into your house, sat down with you, uh, convinced you to let your child go and play under him at this school. You expect some protection there. He doesn't tell you that he's going to at some point uh, wipe his ass in the locker room, come out with crap all over the toilet paper and show it to all the kids, shove it in their faces and tell them this is what you played like during that half of basketball, which is something that in this movie, uh, several players of Bob Knight confirmed that he did when they were there. So anyway, this movie is fascinating because it, it's, 
it shows all the work of journalism that goes into uncovering a story like this, especially when at the center of it there's this larger-than-life titan that people idolize. And what this movie really is also about is hero worship and how danger, how, how dangerous that is and how dangerous toxic fandom uh, can be. I mean, it, it shows you how powerful people can kind of get away with anything as long as they're good at their jobs, as long as they're, if they're in a result-driven business, which is like in business, if you're making a lot of money for your stockholders, or if you're in sports, if you're winning a lot, then people kind of don't really care what you do. And they'll defend you no matter what. It also says things, like I said, about toxic fandom and how people who admire someone will blind themselves to glaring personal problems no matter the evidence. That's the stuff I really saw in this movie, and it was fascinating. The, the movie is really um, tough, and it talks a lot about what the reporter who worked at CNN at the time went through to get this story out there. It took him years of work and tons of times being told no by victims of Bob Knight, players who were victimized by Bob Knight because they didn't want to be ostracized. And because his shadow loomed so large that they would basically be outlawed from ever coming back to the university because everyone in the university was so in Knight's pockets. And it's just really, it's scary, man. It's one of those movies where even if you're not a sports fan, I think you should watch this movie because you'll see, um, you know, the kind of power that athletics can have at a university, even as big a university as Indiana University, the biggest one in the entire state of Indiana. So you're talking about a whole state. This is their biggest school. And it's one of the bigger schools in the state or in the country um, by extension, because it would have to be if it's the biggest in a state. And how much power a coach of a sport that only goes for a couple months of the year has over that entire university where groundbreaking research is being done. But the man who really runs the show is the guy who stands on the sideline at basketball games and yells at players and throws chairs at them. So it's a, it's a crazy, it was a crazy movie. It was eye opening to me. And it, I think it again, will show you a lot about journalism, what goes into it, how hard it can be. Even when you have a story, even when you have one person telling you, here's what happened. Even when you have 10 people telling you, here's what happened, and it's crazy. If you can't get them to go on on the record, it might as well not have happened because you, you're not going to be able to report it. You know, it, you're not going to be able to report it and have it stand up to all the legal things it has to stand up to. So that chase of trying to get people to talk to you on the record, especially when you're a television reporter, I've been there, Andy's been there, not to the level that this guy, I'm not trying to compare what we did at the local news level with what this guy was doing, bringing down Bob Knight. Uh, but it's hard, you know, people don't want to talk to you and they don't want to talk on camera, especially, but this guy did the work, he got it done and he changed the course of, uh, college basketball history because of reporting. And it's, it is really cool. It was really well done. Um, the movie's tough though, like I said, and, and the idea of toxic fandom is tough as well. It's something I've wrestled with a lot. I've talked about on this show a lot over the four years that, you know, we've been doing it. I have people that I've looked up to in the entertainment industry who, as it has turned out, are huge scumbags. And, you know, in recent years, shows that I used to rave about, like Louie. On this show, I talked about how much I loved Louie, the whole series. I enjoyed every episode. It, that show is pretty much impossible for me to watch now. I cannot watch that again. Um, so my time with that show is over because of what I've learned about the guy at the center of it. I still, I have to admit, I still seek out movies by, you know, Woody Allen, Roman Polanski, uh, in the interest of movie history, because I like to see all the films that I can. 
but also because I've loved many of the films by both of those guys. Some of my absolute favorite movies came from Woody Allen and came from Roman Polanski. Movie like Repulsion. That's one of my absolute favorite movies. Rosemary's Baby, The Pianist. Um, I mean, just off the top of my head, Chinatown. I mean, you're talking about those are some of the best movies I think that have ever been made. And those are Roman Polanski movies, and he's like a piece of trash, but the the films are great. And so it's hard. And, and Woody Allen, same deal. I mean, uh, there's so many of his movies that I've loved so much. Manhattan and Annie Hall and Radio Days and, you know, just tons. Crimes and Misdemeanors. You name it. A lot of, a lot of movies by Woody Allen that I've loved. But, God, I mean, it's just it's hard, man. And and what do you do? You know, how do you how do you do it? So a lot, a lot of times what I do is I'll check the movies out from the library. So the guy who made the movie is not making any money uh, off of me watching the film um, and not getting really any extra exposure, but I'm still getting to see the film. I'm still getting to watch the movie. But, you know, that's the way kind of I have done it anyway is check those movies out from the library. They usually have them too because those are, um, you know, they're popular films. So. I don't know. That's something I've talked about a lot. I don't want to get dragged down in another discussion on toxic fandom. But, um, you know, is it something you struggle with at all? I don't know. But if you do, you should check out The Last Days of Night. I think maybe you'll see some reflections that you don't like so much in there. But if you're a sports fan at all, if you're into journalism at all, give The Last Days of Night a watch. And that's The Last Days of K-N-I-G-H-T. Um, obviously, and it's on ESPN plus right now. You might be able to find it. If you don't have ESPN plus, you might be able to find it streaming or I'm sorry, on ESPN DVR at whatever, uh, coming on, just check for 30 for 30 movies and ESPN plus offers a seven day free trial. So you could always sign up for that and, uh, watch the film for free there, but it was very good. A really well done, you know, piece of documentary, the best recent 30 for 30 that I can remember. And it's right now on ESPN plus. I wanted the tape shown. I mean, I know the tape's going to show me not choking the kid. I mean, I was glad to have the tape shown. My name is Robert Abbott. For me, it all began in 1999, when three former high school All-Americans left Bob Knight's Indiana University basketball program, and my boss at CNN asked me to find out why. This guy was a basketball genius, and discipline was at, at the core of that. Sometimes behind great success, they're things that we'd rather not know about. It was a story about power and the abuse of power. Stop your ass right in the ground! I think you're constantly playing in fear. You're being intimidated. Guard Neil Reed says he is leaving school and it's not his call. I've had an eyewitness saying Coach Knight put his hand around Neil's throat. The basketball program was denying everything. Bobby, I'm going to tell you my side of this thing. There was almost no one in the state of Indiana who was more powerful. I know there's a tape out there. I haven't seen it, but I know there is a tape out there. We got the video. Indiana University may ask Bobby Knight to step down as head basketball coach. All right, I'm going to toss things over to Andy, and uh, we'll see what he's got going on here for the first month of 2019. When we come back, I'm going to talk about something that breaks my heart, the fact that New Year's Eve sucks now on television absolutely breaks my heart we'll be uh, i'll be back to talk about that in just a minute but uh, let me send you out to dayton ohio to our good friend andy Sedlak. take it away my friend hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there. How are you? Good to be with you. And happy 2019. I uh, hope you uh, had a nice Christmas, a nice New Year's. Uh, luckily for me, Santa wasn't really paying attention this year. My name is Andy Sedlak, by the way. I uh, want to thank you for listening to the Stream Police Podcast. Please do us a favor, and if if you like these shows, only if you like them, uh, please give us a five-star review. Uh, it takes three seconds, and the payoff goes a long, long way. I thank you in advance, my friends. Now, now, let me ask you a question. You guys are informed, so so let me let me put this out there. When you think of rock music, is this what you think of? Thunder. That was the highest charting rock song of 2018, according to the Billboard charts. It's Thunder from Imagine Dragons. And if you just if you just look at those charts, you'd think that this band uh, was an institution. Imagine Dragons had four of the top five songs of 2018. Four of the top five. Believer, Whatever It Takes, and Natural are also included on that list. A song by Portugal, The Man, rounds out the top five. Again, that's according to the folks over at Billboard. So, you know, why aren't you and your rocker friends aware of this? If they're so big, why aren't you really into them? Well, it's because they're not really a rock band. Not really. More and more, they're a pop band that plays their own instruments, but they're categorized as rock. Now, that's important. They are categorized as rock. It's telling that a band considered rock by default is the most successful rock band of the year. Rock and roll music is in a strange, strange place, baby. And when I say strange, I mean it's irrelevant to most mainstream audiences. 
Look, last week, just last week, the number one rock album was the Bohemian Rhapsody soundtrack. Those songs are 40 years old. So much for being cutting edge. So much for pushing the envelope. For the year 2018, the top rock albums go like this. Evolve by Imagine Dragons. Pray for the Wicked by Panic at the Disco. Diamonds from Elton John. That's a reissue. Night Visions from, again, Imagine Dragons. And Tom Petty's Greatest Hits, which was originally released in the early 90s. Isn't it insane? Strictly by the numbers, Panic at the Disco was one of the most popular rock bands of the year. Twenty One Pilots, another one of the most popular rock bands of last year. They're pop bands that play instruments. They're pop bands. And these folks fall up the charts because there's nothing to compete with them. People can't buy rock if it doesn't exist. So what happened to rock? Let's take a look at that. The root of the problem is in streaming. We are now in the streaming era. It accounts for 75% of music industry revenue. 75%. Fact of the matter is rock has a streaming problem. Spotify says its most popular acts are not rock. They're hip-hop and EDM. Even metal does well. But traditional rock, not so much. Nielsen, which um, tracks music sales, says that for the first time, rock and roll is no longer the pillar of the music community. Is rock and roll dying? Uh, you know, that's that's a... A question that's been put to me a couple times. I think in the industry, in the music business right now, um, a lot of what makes rock and roll great has been sort of snuffed out in popular music. I think there's a lot of kids who are putting together bands all the time, but you can't necessarily get a leg up in this business right now playing rock and roll. You have to be playing top 40. You have to have your first single has to be a hit, or you know, you're not going to get any backing to sort of further your career. So it's a very sort of strange time right now. But let me be clear. There's a whole other side of the music industry away from recorded music. And when you look at the full picture, you cannot say that rock is dead. In fact, it's alive and well, but you have to know where it's living. And it's living on the road. Well, now um, people often say, you know, you don't make money on records. You, as we were saying, we make it many other ways. And right. one of those is, uh, is uh, concerts um, and shows that people, let's look at this number, 400%. It's the inc- uh, average increase in the price of a concert ticket since uh, 1981. You should note that there was a 23% increase in concert attendance uh, from 2012 to 2013. When Billboard ranked 2017's 50 highest ranking music acts in terms of revenue, okay, these are, it's essentially what this is, is it's the 50 wealthiest musicians for the year, okay, for the year 2017. There were three times as many rock artists as hip-hop, even though rock artists weren't selling records. How is that? It's, the, it's because touring accounts for 80% of an artist's earnings. 
In that same year, half of the 25 highest grossing tours belong to rock artists. There you go. Hello, Cleveland! Hello, Cleveland! That was also the same last year when rock again made millions on the road. And because of that success, live tours continue to be pushed. They continue to be promoted. Something that's not happening with new recordings. But the Rolling Stones, U2, Journey, and Def Leppard all brought in pop star caliber money. They were on par with Taylor Swift last year. They were on par with Bruno Mars last year. That's lucrative. Springsteen's Broadway residency was extended twice and only recently wrapped up, not because of a lack of demand, but because Bruce wanted to move on. Paul McCartney, owning the road as we speak. So is Bob Seger, Billy Joel. Meanwhile, Hip-hop has a problem on the road. It does not do well in comparison. Let's look at it this way. Hip-hop accounts for about 40% of music streams. Rock has about 20% of streams. But when you talk about touring, the reverse is true. Playing shows, that's where you look. Selling merchandise, playing shows, getting stuff at the door. Is that where most people can make money, right? Yeah, that and YouTube. The Wall Street Journal, that's right, the Wall Street Journal, had an interesting way of looking at it. They said that if Drake can do four nights at Madison Square Garden, then expect a band like Fish to do 17. EDM also does not tour well. Of the 25 highest-grossing tours of 2017, not one of them belonged to an EDM artist. EDM and hip-hop do festivals. They don't do tours. So, is rock dead? Perhaps in one marketplace, but it's thriving in another. It's very much in demand. And whatever the reasons may be, at the end of the day, this is the music business, right? And that part of the business is thriving. And let's not say the word dead, by the way, when we, say about, when we talk about recording music and rock. Let's not use the word dead. Let's, let's say it's in a deep sleep. Makes me feel better. And once a generational catalyst like Nirvana comes along, it'll be a brand new ballgame. These things are cyclical. Rock always comes back. So you kids out there, get to work. It's got to be somebody young. Youth is always the propeller. All right. That was fun. Now we're all enlightened. Let's move on. I must report the captain of Captain Antoniel died last week. His name was Daryl Dragon. Actually, that is his birth name, Daryl Dragon. He was 76 years old. Tony Tennille was at his side at the time of his death. Muskrat Susie, Muskrat Sam, do the jitterbug out in Muskrat land and they shear me. Sam is so skinny And they whirl and they twirl and they tangle Singing and jingin' a 
Captain Daryl Dragon got his nickname from none other than Mike Love of the Beach Boys. Dragon toured with them before forming Captain Antonil in the 1960s and 70s. And the nickname Captain, remember the Beach Boys were kind of a, well, they were a beach-centric band. Uh, the nickname Captain stuck. He met Tony Tennille. They got married, although according to Tennille, that never should have happened. Now legendary entertainer Tony Tennille is revealing that her life was not the perfect love story millions of fans imagined. Musically, there was a great synergy, but romantically, it sounded like a nightmare. Kind of was, because I just was this person constantly looking for something he couldn't give. Her marriage to Daryl Dragon, otherwise known as the captain, was fraught with problems from the beginning, she says. What finally got us to marry was when our accountant said, you know, you could pay a lot less taxes if you were married. I mean, not me. I wanted to. But that was what said. Daryl said, OK. After 39 years of marriage, Tennille divorced the captain in 2014. Jesus. A few years before, she said publicly that he had tremors, which... Prevented him from playing live. Good Lord. Almost sounded like uh, she was kind of bitter about it, if you go back and read those things. Then when the divorce finally rolled around, she cited an, an inability to be affectionate. Jesus. An inability to be affectionate. Poor bastard. Their hit songs were all about love and romance. But in her new book, Tony Tennille, A Memoir, Tony says behind the scenes it was another story. There was not a lot of romance in this No, marriage. there was no connection to me. It's, it should be an intimate, you know, deep, loving connection that, that happened. You stayed in this marriage for almost four decades because of the fans? That had very much to do with it. People thought we had this fairy tale relationship, and um, I knew that they would be disappointed. Who knew that Tony Tennille was such a hard ass? Now the captain is dead, lady. Are you happy? But do you think you guys deserve or get the, the respect that you deserve as musicians and songwriters? The thing is that Daryl and I both know. You know, we were both trained as classical musicians. We each had 10 years of classical piano. There's a lot of background in what we do. So. I just can't take it anymore, so don't pick on me. <laughs> Daryl's ready to find the tallest building and jump off. No, well, don't that, do that, that. No, that bridge will work out there. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it, Daryl. Don't do it. Don't fans. do it, Daryl. All right, friends, we are building the most perfect playlist known to man. You can listen to... Uh, our playlist on Spotify, just search Stream Police each month. Uh, we, we add five more songs. So in the spirit of our conversation earlier, let's add a few rock songs, shall we? First, it's similar features, and this is by Melissa Etheridge. Actually, it's uh, the first song from her first album. Second, it's Hot Night in Dallas by Moon Martin.
Then, I'll Wait by Van Halen. I'm going to give you Hold Me Down by Tommy Lee. And finally, it's all because of what you did to me by Jay Blackfoot. I woke up this morning, smiling all over the place. I look so good to myself, I wouldn't even wash my face. I looked in the mirror to see a halo around my head. I knew I had to be dreaming, so I jumped back in the face. All because of what you did to me last night. that's it thank you so much do me a favor behave yourselves in the new year please peace y'all all right andy thank you very much my friend always appreciate it i look forward to seeing you here in this brand new year All right, I'm Clint Davis. Once again, I talk about movies and TV here on the show. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Mr. Clint Davis, M-R Clint Davis. You can email me also at theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E Clint Davis at gmail.com. All right. I told you before the break that New Year's Eve sucks now in terms of television, and it does, and it breaks my heart. I talked before on this show about how much I used to love the CNN New Year's Eve show. It was like this little gem that not that many people knew about that wasn't that mainstream, but it was on TV. It was on a big network, and it was such a blast to watch. Kathy Griffin and Anderson Cooper. It was pure live TV magic for a couple of years, but it is no more, of course. Now, CNN still does a New Year's Eve show. Now it's with Anderson Cooper and Andy Cohen, but Andy Cohen just doesn't bring the same uh, kind of uh, level of like unpredictable energy to me that Kathy Griffin did, and it's probably because Andy Cohen is a true television professional. So now what you have is you have two TV pros, because Anderson Cooper is really good at live TV. Andy Cohen is really good at live TV. He hosts a live talk show every night. Um, what network is that on? Is that on Bravo or E? I think it's on Bravo. So he's he knows what he's doing on live TV. He does it every night. So New Year's Eve is nothing new. Kathy Griffin, she didn't do live TV except for on New Year's Eve. And she was just there really to keep Cooper on his toes, keep him laughing, make him so uncomfortable, make him sweat on TV to the delight of viewers watching for the four hours or however it was long that that show was on every year. And to watch this woman, this straight woman, 
you know, kiss and force forcibly kiss a gay man on the lips on live television at New Year's Eve every year was one of the true things I think we looked forward to every year. Of course, it was all in fun. They were good friends. Um, it wasn't there was nothing scary about it, but it was pure live TV magic. I said it before on this show. If you go back and look in a previous January episode, that that to me was the last stand of true unplanned live television. We will never have it quite like that again. Um, and, you know, because the reason we lost it is because conservatives are babies and they couldn't handle someone decapitating the host of NBC's The Apprentice in a satirical photo shoot. But, you know, regardless, moving on from that. So Kathy Griffin and Anderson Cooper, no more. Maybe CNN will be able to bring it back in a few years when things have cooled down, when uh, Trump's no longer in the White House. Bring it back. I'll still watch it. But just th- those few years, man, it was magic. If you never saw it, check out some clips online. But I think it won't even do it justice because you had been drinking along with them. You're feeling a little tipsy. You're watching the show. And it was just live magic. Live TV like that just does not exist anymore. Everything's too planned. Everything is... Uh, um, you know, just scripted and kind of staged out too well, including the other New Year's Eve shows. They are, you know, staged down to the last second of detail. But the CNN one wasn't. It just felt like they were making it up as they went along. It felt like they showed up at 8 p.m. on, on Times Square, just got the smallest lot available and, and filmed this four-hour program. And it was great, but no more. It is no more. And it makes me very sad. So this year at New Year's Eve, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I didn't even stay up to watch anything because I didn't have anything good to watch. Anderson and, and Kathy made me want to stay up till midnight. Not anymore. Okay, as they used to say on Monty Python's Flying Circus. And now for something completely different. I want to talk about something that is on Amazon Prime right now that I just realized is on Amazon Prime. I don't know if any of you guys... Uh, and I talked about journalism in the last segment. I'm going to talk about it again. Just uh, bear with me here. Frontline, the great PBS documentary news series, news magazine series, is on Amazon Prime. I did not realize that. You know, Forgive me if it's been on Amazon Prime for a while, but I just discovered that. Amazon Prime does not do as good a job of Netflix as, as making sure you know what's new and what's streaming, what's available. It's much harder to navigate their app, and it always has been. I hope they redo it at some point. Uh, but they just they haven't been. They mix up the ones that are Amazon Prime eligible and the ones that you have to pay money for in addition to your subscription. They're all kind of mixed together, and it's very confusing for people who don't really know what they're looking for. So it's just not nearly as easy to use as Netflix is, and that's to their peril. But Frontline is on Amazon Prime. I did not realize that. PBS's uh, news magazine series, the entire past few seasons – um, are actually available for you streaming on Amazon Prime. And, uh, again, I did not realize that. Season 36 of the show joined on January 1st. You can watch that entire 2017-18 uh, to 18 Fall 18 series. And uh, there were some great episodes uh, in this uh, latest season that, you know, I watched myself. Uh, there was a great one about Dayton, Ohio. If you, uh, you know, have ever, if, if you know anything about Dayton or don't know anything about Dayton, it's a great episode about how booming centers of industry and innovation can can go bust just kind of overnight and turn into, you know, like ghost towns almost. And as someone who lived in Dayton, Dayton's been a punching bag a lot. This show was not making the city into a punching bag. It was telling a really good story about the city where when it was at its height and when it kind of got to its lowest points as well, uh, all in one episode. And uh, that episode was called Left Behind America. And if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, watch that episode because you can now see it uh, for free on uh, on Amazon Prime. So it was depressing, but it was very well done 
uh, episode. Also, there are some really good episodes about Harvey Weinstein, really exhaustive, like two-hour episode into Harvey Weinstein. Uh, human trafficking gets covered in a really um, uh, good episode as well. John McCain's life gets covered in an episode. All kinds of stuff, uh, newsworthy stuff in Frontline. Frontline is one of my absolute favorite shows to watch. Anytime there's a new episode, I always look forward to checking it out. And uh, I've spent so much time in my adult years watching PBS, and Frontline is one of those shows. And, you know, I kind of wonder from you guys, do you have a favorite PBS show? Do you watch PBS at all? Is it not one of the shows that ever crosses your radar? Because if it doesn't, then you're really missing out. It, it's got so so much variety. Austin City Limits, you know, Independent Lens, POV, American Experience, American Masters, um, Masterpiece Theater, Nature, which is probably my favorite of all the PBS shows. It, just all these great shows, endless hours of entertainment. PBS has its own streaming uh, thing now that you have to pay for, but you know, the money goes to fund PBS. So it's not really making anybody rich. So it should make you feel good. But do you have a favorite PBS shows? Uh, do you, do you watch PBS at all? Or does it just not even cross your mind to flip PBS on? I don't know. I kind of wondered about that as I was bringing up frontline, but do yourself a favor, check out frontline. If you're into news, if you're into current events, frontline, uh, last few seasons, all of them are available now on Amazon prime. And if you search the show, I'm sure you'll find at least an episode that uh, will interest you. I don't watch every episode. I kind of pick and choose the ones I'm interested in, and I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to do the same and find something that you want to check out. Okay, finally, before I let you go here on the Stream Police, let me give you something funny and something serious that's now streaming on Netflix and now streaming on Amazon. First off, on Netflix, something funny for you, 1991's The Addams Family. I love this movie. If you never saw it, this is what introduced me to The Addams Family. This is what gave me my crush on Wednesday Addams and her like kind of goth look. I just loved Christina Ricci in this movie. And I, the whole film, they, they nailed the characters. Uh, it's such a, a fun, wacky film. And Raul Julia is so earnest in his performance. And Angelica Houston is so good. Christopher Lloyd. It's just a, it's great. A heavyweight cast doing funny stuff, and it's got a great look as well. So The Addams Family from 1991, something very funny that is now streaming on Netflix. Something serious for you on Netflix from 2016, it's Hell or High Water. And this one is not deadly serious. It's really it's funny as well, but this one is like kind of an action drama um, about a couple of brothers. Robin Banks, Chris Pine is in it. Jeff Bridges was Oscar nominated for this movie. It was nominated for Best Picture. I loved it when it came out. Still love this movie. It's got great music. Um some music from Chris Stapleton in the soundtrack. And it's just one of those, you know, kind of like Texas, you know, bad boy movies. And it's got something to say also about the economic, uh, uh, you know, hardships of the last few years that people have gone through. And it, it kind of makes the whole thing kind of a message picture. So hell or high water also on Netflix right now, if you're looking for something with a little bit more weight on Amazon. Meanwhile, something light for you, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory from 1971. And uh, who doesn't love this movie? The music, the visuals. There's truly no other film like this. It's so out there. It's so creepy and cool and also um, fun and whimsical. And there's just, I love this movie. The, the songs are great. Pure Imagination's awesome. And it's just, the, the, the people who play the kids are great. And Veruca Salt should not have been sent down the chute because she didn't do anything wrong. What did she do wrong? All she did was throw some packages around. That's it. They could have cleaned it up and, and moved on. I, but meanwhile, Charlie stole uh, some of the fizzy lifting drinks, so he should have been kicked out, and Veruca should have won. She got screwed. 
Meanwhile, something heavier for you on Amazon, a movie from 2018 called Eighth Grade. This one was Golden Globe nominated, could be Oscar nominated, not sure if it will be. But uh, Eighth Grade is going to hit Amazon Prime on January 13th. And I didn't love this movie, but if you're into coming-of-age films, and if you like realistic portrayals of how middle school was, of how awkward it was, this one does a really good job of it because the main uh, actor playing the main part, she's a girl. She's a um, She actually is like 13 years old, and she nails the part, and it could be one of those life-changing performances for her. So Eighth Grade from 2018 right now on Amazon Prime. Beautiful Boy is also uh, on Amazon Prime as well if you wanted to see that one with Steve Carell and Timothy Chalamet. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thank you very much for checking us out. Please spread the word. Thank you very much to my friend Andy Sedlak. Reach out to him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com. Hit me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. We'll talk to you next month, my friend. Until then, stream on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.